0: Hey there, and welcome to the Tower Hill Church podcast. This is Pastor Jason. Boy, we uh, we just got over the big winter storm, and thankfully, at least where we are, we didn't get too much snow, so it wasn't quite as catastrophic. It wasn't the snowmageddon that they were telling us it was going to be. But uh, I know that a lot of you who are listening to this, if you are uh, north of New York City, um, upstate New York. Some of those areas, you got absolutely nailed. So I hope you're doing okay. Uh, but I apologize for uh, the podcast coming out so late this week, but uh, we were having some technology problems that had nothing to do with this storm. And uh, now we finally got it together and we're able to put it out. Well, before we get into uh, the message today, we uh, I just want to let you know of some things going on in the life of the church. This is a big time where we start Uh, Preparing for Easter, of course, in this season of Lent. We have some mission opportunities coming up. Uh, Please check our website, towerhillchurch.org, for details on that. We have our Easter hams and our uh, what we call our manna bags. We're giving away food uh, for those people in need. The information on how to participate in that is on our website. And also, if you are looking for a way to connect during Lent in a small group, Again, we believe circles are better than rows when it comes to getting to know others and growing in your faith. We have a whole bunch of new small groups that are launching right as we speak. So, again, check us out on the website. Get signed up. Get plugged in. We would love to have you. And, uh, listen, I think the deal is that God really wants us to create community with one another because that's what really grows Our faith. I can't think of a time in my life when I was growing in my faith when it didn't involve other Christians in one way or another. So think about that and uh, hopefully be inspired to get out and be part of a group. Hey, we're also really excited that our middle school Sunday school called XP3, formerly known as the Donut Dive, has uh, just started this last week and now it's every week at 1030. Sundays at ten thirty in the new U space, the attic. I always say it's the it's a different name, it's a different location, same great donuts. So, uh, my goodness, middle schoolers, donuts! Come on, what else? What else could you want? Anyway, uh, we'll get into the message now. I pray that you have a really great day. And here it is, the next installment of Crado. I believe. Have you ever done um, corporates or, or team-building exercises? Uh, you know, maybe because they want to make you a better functioning team. And I think there is no exercise more terrifying or awkward than the trust fall. You ever have to do trust falls? Oh my gosh, if you haven't done trust falls, you have not lived. Trust falls, it's so awkward. So the way they do it in team-building is they have the whole team stand there and they hold hands and lock hands and they say, oh, you know, okay, fall backwards without looking and trust us, we're gonna catch you. There's so many things, so many red flags that go off, so many alarms in my brain. I have a lot of questions before I say yes to this activity. First of all, it's weird. You got a lot of people touching you. It's just kind of uncomfortable. But, but when you fall, like, I wanna know some things. Like, I don't know, I start discriminating pretty quickly. I'm like, how strong do they look? I'm... I'm a big guy. Like, are they going to catch me? Like, are, do you guys have the right grip? Are you guys, uh, are you going to, like, I have just lots of questions. And I'm like, you know what? Can I see somebody else go first and just make sure that, or, or then maybe you start thinking if you're in a, in a corporate world, if you start thinking, you know, that person was really mad at me. <laughs> like, are they going to accidentally lose their grip? Are they going to accidentally drop? I don't know. I want some proof, just a little bit of proof before I am ready to trust falling and being caught by them. I feel like in life, this whole idea of proving that you can be trusted, this this is a theme that is constant in our life, in every area of our life. Uh, I remember as a kid, and I do it with my kids, your parents ever tell you this? It's, can I trust you with this? Let me trust you with this, and then you could do the other thing. Right, show me that you are trustworthy. Give me some proof that you can handle this. If I send you to Brennan's with 10 bucks to get a sandwich, are you gonna come back with change? Are you able to go there and get what you need and come back? It's, it's like, can I trust you with this little bit so that later I can trust you with more? If we think about our lives and how trust works, that seems to we don't usually trust things blindly. We need a little bit of evidence that that person or those people can be trusted. Well, I think that there's definitely a spiritual version of this. And that's why so many people, they hedge their bets on God. They hedge their bets. They say, well, I don't know. They start thinking, okay, uh, if there is a God or a supreme being or Morgan Freeman, whatever's out there, is that God strong enough with the weight of my soul, with the weight of my life? Am I willing to actually put my trust into this God. I don't know. It's like I I need to see some proof that this God can be trusted. We are all very much show me, people. Show me. And then we will give our trust. Jesus' entire ministry, I think, was a show me ministry. If his whole ministry was just this. If his whole ministry was the Sermon on the Mount, basically. Like, here's my message. The end. We would not be here today. The Christian faith would have never gone anywhere. But then what happened? Well, Jesus taught, and then he did these miracles that people couldn't explain. He's going around healing people, feeding the 5,000. I mean, that had to be the most famous because so many people were involved in it. And there were so many opportunities for it to be discredited or discounted because so many people were involved with it. He's walking on the water. He's doing anything. Why did he do these miracles? It was so that he could tell his disciples and us, I'm proving that you can trust me. Look at what I am doing. I'm not just telling you the words, I'm showing you. You can trust me. So, when I say that I'm strong enough to handle the weight of your life, you can trust me. You can follow me. And what is the ultimate expression of that is in the resurrection. It wasn't Jesus' teaching that drove the disciples out into the world, it was the resurrection. It was an event that they could not understand. An event that took everybody by surprise. But it was the ultimate display of you can trust that I am who I say that I am. The resurrection is the reason we trust. It is where Jesus' status is confirmed as the only one strong enough for our life's trust. Even when we read about the resurrection... We can see the shock and amazement just in the disciples. Nobody saw this coming. Even Jesus said it was. Even though Jesus said it was, nobody saw it coming. Let's look at uh, the Gospel of Mark. Chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. Remember, we were talking about how uh, the Christian faith is so specifically uh, located in history. We see this again. It's the first day of week, right? He's locating the time and place that this happened. On their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You, I feel like that's the biggest understatement. <laughs> <laughs> the stones rolled away. There's someone in a white robe sitting. <laughs> they were alarmed. You were looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. I mean, you could see the shock. Even Jesus had to prove to his closest followers that he was going to rise from the dead just as he told you, just as he said. And they're shocked and bewildered. I love this because I feel like this is so real. You know, if you were making up this story, I would make the disciples, and I were a disciple writing it, I'd make the disciples look a lot better. I'd make them look like they got it a lot more than they actually did. Like Like my version would be, oh, and Mary said, hooray, we knew this would happen, Because Jesus, right? (laughs) But that's not, they're shocked. They don't know. Jesus's resurrection changed everything. It changed this scared group. And remember, they were huddling in that upper room because they were afraid for their lives. It, It went from that into literally going to the corners of their world, the whole ancient Near East, starting churches spreading the gospel and in the end dying as martyrs for the fact that they believe jesus rose from the dead it was the event of the resurrection that changed everything not jesus's teaching you take away the resurrection you take away the christian faith because you've just rendered it completely useless and powerless There are some people who say, yeah, but Jason, the gospel, so Mark's the earliest gospel that, that was written. The gospel was written kind of a long way from when Jesus actually died. The gospel was written like 40 years later. There's a lot that could happen in 40 years. Maybe people made stuff up. Then I point you to passages like this. If you look at 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians written by Paul. Paul started the church in Corinth around the year 50. So that's already less than 20 years from the event of the resurrection. And he writes, and remember when when he's writing in the letter, it means he's referring to things that happened earlier, so it had to be earlier than when he wrote it, right? This gets us pretty close to what the very first Christians believed about Jesus. So let's read uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. Which you received and on which you have taken your stand by this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance: that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures; that he was buried; that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures; and that he appeared to Cephas. And then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the, all the apostles, and the last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Now, what he means there doesn't mean he was born normally, but what he means is uh, Jesus appeared to him, remember, as he's on his horse on the road to Damascus. He wasn't with Jesus at the time that Jesus was on earth. And so he says he's the unusual exception of a disciple. He wasn't there in Jesus' physical ministry. That's what he means. And so today, as you've no doubt guessed, it's like we're getting Easter a month early. Is that this is the part of the creed. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. It's a big chunk of the creed, but it all goes together. So let's start with that first part. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. I think this goes back to, uh, you know, why is, is the third day piece important? I think it goes back to because that's what Jesus said would happen. It's, it's the, I'm proving to you, you can trust that I am who I say that I am. I mean, there's lots of symbolism with the third day, of course. But I think the fact that Jesus, this is exactly what Jesus predicted. Because listen, I'm trusting somebody. When they say something and it happens, I'm probably going to trust what they're going to say next. It's not just enough to just predict things and I'm going to trust that person. Like, I want to see it. I want you to show me some proof. Otherwise, I would just put my trust in the guy But there's a true story. There's a guy that put a huge tattoo on his arm. Said, uh, for the uh, Houston, oh no, the Tennessee Titans, 2017 AFC champions, AFC South champions, for the upcoming season, he put this. Like, I'm not following that guy around. Like, I'm not following the one who who just makes predictions. No, I'm saying something, who said something, and then it happened. Remember the movie Groundhog Day? If you ever, that's such a fun movie. If you've never seen the movie Groundhog Day, it's it's all about a man who's living the same day over and over and over again, played by Bill Murray, who was hilarious in it. Uh, so he's reliving this day over and over again, and he's trying to explain uh, to this woman that he's with that, that this is what's going on, and she doesn't believe him. And so what he does is he writes something on a napkin, hands it to her, and then uh, a guy comes to the table and he says. We'd better get going if we're going to stay ahead of the weather. Remember this part? Better get going if we're going to stay ahead of the weather. And she opens the napkin and it says, We'd better get going if we're going to stay ahead of the weather. And then she believes him. I think this is why Jesus said so many things that were fulfilled later. So that we would look at that and be like, Oh yeah. He's proved it. I, I could trust my life in his arms. Because he's shown me that I can trust him. How gracious of God, by the way, to do that. Jesus predicted it and it happened. This is from John chapter 2. The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Right? What are you going to show us, Jesus? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. I think that's exactly why Jesus said it. So that we would open the napkin and be like, oh, I believe. He is not here. He has risen just as he told you. All right, the next part. He ascended into heaven. So last week we talked about his descent into hell. And after he paid the price of sin, then what is due to him is the reward of heaven. He ascended into heaven. You know, those, after he rose from the dead, he didn't just ascend right away. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he appeared to many. He kept teaching. He kept appearing to them. He had doubting Thomas feel the wounds in his hands, in his side. And then he rose to take his rightful place as the king of kings on his heavenly throne. I find it interesting. Uh, There's a real big spiritual thing that's happening here. Um, There's a parallel going on between Satan and Jesus. So if if you put it this way, one way of understanding, I think this gets to Paul's theology, what he believes is going on with Jesus, is that from the time of Adam and Eve, from the time that sin entered the world and the time of Jesus, you had God's kingdom growing and and God was was taking a particular people and building something that would lead to Jesus. But that whole time that sin entered the world, it's like sin was sitting on the throne. Sin had control uh, of the world. The the kingdom of this world uh, had say over the kingdom of God. That sin had not been fully forgiven or taken care of. And then when Jesus came, Jesus dethroned sin. So that now, although sin and death still remain, the kingdom of God is growing. The kingdom of God, Jesus Christ, the king of kings, is the one who's in control. And it will grow until it completely consumes the darkness. There will be nothing but light left. And so he ascended to take his place. What's interesting, so Jesus says, I'm preparing a place for you, right? He's the hope of our resurrection. I'm preparing a place for you. He secures the victory over sin and death. And so watch uh, what is said about Satan in Isaiah 14, verses 13 and 14. This is what Satan said. I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly. I will make myself like the most high. This is what Satan said. Satan, the great imposter. Satan, whose number is six six, six because it's not quite reaching seven, the number of per- perfection. It is always falling short, infinitely. Satan, the one who wants to sit on the throne And so we see Jesus ascending into heaven. And this goes into the next part. And is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. The ambition of sin versus the reward of sinlessness. The ambition of power from the one who made himself powerless. And has been given all authority by God. Jesus Christ, the one who is the ultimate king. The king of kings. The greatest king of heaven as he sits on the throne of God's kingdom and he takes his rightful place as Lord of all Jesus ascends and the whole right hand of the father th- this, this is the place of honor um, back then when you were sitting uh, for example at a meal if you invited guest overs, it, it guests over and you had a meal whoever sat at your right hand that was the guest of honor who is considered higher even than the host. And this is where that language is coming from. Jesus is at the seat of honor. He is the king. He is the one in the throne. Ephesians 1, 20 through 21 says, God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Jesus is exactly who he said he was. He is God. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. He's coming again. He is coming back for the final act. The final eradication of sin and death forever. He is coming back. And so what we know about being a follower of Jesus is we are living between two comings of Jesus. And so we experience the kingdom of God here and now, but we also are not yet experiencing the full kingdom of God. We have, we have a foot in both worlds. We live in an already not yet reality. The kingdom of God is within us. Scriptures tell us the kingdom of God is within us. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is within us. The kingdom of God is all around us and it is growing. But it's not yet reached its fullness until that day when Jesus comes back. And really, the point of this is to say, well, what do we do in the meantime? How are we supposed to live our lives in, in this in between time of faith? Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do I'm going to trust fall into Jesus' arms. Because I trust him with the weight of my life. You see, faith isn't just about the hereafter. It's about the here and now. What does God want for us? He wants us to live. How do we experience life in its fullness? We put our trust in the one who is trustworthy. what we believe matters. That's why the creed's important. Because it's all the difference between saying we believe Jesus who we said he was or that Jesus was something else. I know it might be awkward for you. Maybe even terrifying. But have you allowed Jesus to hold you up Have you trusted Him with the weight of your life? This is the question that we all must answer. And this is the difference between a life lived in the fullness of the kingdom of God and a life that's still ruled by sin and death. Jesus has already achieved victory, experience it. is Jesus just a good teacher or a good person or some kind of moral example or is he the king of kings the lord of lords the risen one hasn't he proved that he can be trusted